Welcome to Rush Hockey Talk, brought to you by Rush Hockey, trusted guidance, unrivaled success. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Katorji, and this is our podcast series. This is definitely the place to be if you want to learn how to pave your way to the world of youth hockey. So get ready, because you're going to hear some amazing interviews with premier personalities, coaches, scouts, players, celebrities. We got them all. Rush Hockey for over 25 years, experts in evaluation, over 10,000 alumni. It's unmatched. It's Rush Hockey Talk, and it's here. Welcome to Rush Hockey Talk. This is Kelly Katorji, and we are back with our series of podcasts. And the great thing about today's podcast is it's going to be about a topic that we at Rush Hockey get asked about a lot. And it has to deal with training, both in the in-season and the off-season. It is a pretty hot topic because there's so much information out there. And as with other topics we've discussed, it can be very confusing. We have an expert on our show today. His name is Billy Larkins. I've known him for a number of years now. He's a professional in the field of off-ice training during the in-season and off-season. He's worked with a lot of pretty high-profile athletes. We welcome Billy to our show today. Billy, thanks so much for coming on our podcast series. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Excited. Thank you. So let's talk a little bit about your history. Give us a little background on where you're from, educational background, what you're doing today. Yeah, thanks. I, um, I'm from Illinois, born and raised. I went to the University of Illinois, then transferred to Dubuque, Iowa. Uh, there I got a uh, bachelor's degree in accounting and kinesiology. Um, so I guess I kind of foreshadowed at an early age. I wanted to own my own gyms and, and be in this field. So that worked out pretty well. Um, but from there, I, I went to the, the West Coast for a while. I started a gym, train athletes. I got engaged. We moved back to Wisconsin. I started uh, two facilities there, one in the Chicago area, one uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin area. Uh, from there, I took a job at the University of Maine, worked primarily with the women's ice hockey team. Uh, this past year, we moved to Pittsburgh. I worked with the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins as director of sports performance. I ran their youth side, and I worked with uh, the pro team as well for testing and, and running various workouts. Um, and now I'm, I started another gym this past, um, th- in March of this year, I started a, a facility here in Wexford, Pennsylvania, just north of Pittsburgh. So being in Pittsburgh, I assume that you have athletes coming to you, not just in hockey and not just from the Pittsburgh area, but in other sports and from around uh, America and Canada. Is that true? Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, we work for um, some players that from the Canadian national team. We do some remote training for the Swiss national team. I work with some of the Pirates guys here and some other various um, professional baseball players. We do a lot um, with NBA and, and Division I athletes um, as far as remote training and consultation goes. Um, right now, um, I think a big thing is nutrition. Um, people know that it matters. People know they want to get better at it, uh, but they need to find out how to do it, why, and, and how to implement it. Um, you know, in an affordable way, in a convenient fashion. No doubt. I, I would, I didn't even think about asking you about nutrition today, knowing that there's so much out there. I mean, that, 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 that word alone just sort of has my brain spinning with questions for you. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second because it is also, I would assume something that there's so much confusion in for parents. I know myself personally, I get confused with it. I would 
uh, not hesitate to think that, that the parents would also be confused along with their their children. Give us a, a a little a couple anecdotes when it comes to some of the athletes you've worked with. Any uh, anyone in particular that's been pretty cool to deal with? Any uh, I, I believe you've done NFL players, NHL players. Is that true? Yep, absolutely. Uh, NBA, NFL, NHL. I don't know if it's I don't know if it's um, necessarily our particular player that sticks out. I just think that you know the level of professionalism. Um, and commitment at that level is something that is refreshing and always gets you, you know, amplified to step your game up. I think when somebody comes in and it's it's down to business, there's not a lot of, of the side chatter and they know what they want. They know what they want to accomplish. They know the timeline that they're on. I think that it makes it for a guy like me, it makes it more fun. Uh, it makes it seem a little bit more real, if that makes sense. It, it, do you notice, uh, uh, I hope this doesn't sound like a foolish question, but a big difference with the discipline between that pro or future pro and a motivated young athlete? I, I noticed a difference in the, um, the discipline to the process, right? What I mean by that is, um, you know, an amateur athlete that is still a very high level athlete, they still struggle, you know, to get out of bed. They still struggle to hit their calories. They still struggle to want to get to the, to the weight room. You know, their mindset is, Oh man, I, I don't really want to do this right now, but I'm going to because it's what it's take. Where some of these top professionals that I've worked with, that's kind of non-existent. They're human, but they, it's not a choice anymore. It's just a way of life. You know, they they fall in love with that process, and that process is is what's gotten them there, and it's what's going to continue to excel them uh, on their career. Have you ever had any of the amateurs that you work with? And when I say amateurs, uh, youth. Have they ever been around some of these pros watching you or even in conjunction working together and just sort of, you know, do they learn anything from seeing this, this sort of process discipline? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think, uh, you know, one of the benefits of, of having your own facility is that you can do that. And I think that that process right there of mixing the professional and the amateur or youth athlete is, is kind of the feedback uh, this summer. We had a professional baseball player in my gym all summer. And, and in my facility, we have um, hitting, pitching, et cetera. So there's youth baseball all the time. So just for them to see that, hey, this guy's doing the same warm-up that I do. Hey, this guy's getting hounded by Coach Billy about drinking water. Hey, this guy's getting chewed on because he didn't eat his breakfast this morning. I think that that, that defines it. It shows you, hey, that this guy's a professional athlete. He's accomplishing his dreams, but it's obtainable because he started here just like I did. Um, so I think that's one of my favorite things about what I do is being able to to merge those and remind kids that, hey, like this is your dream. Yeah, it's just a sport, but you can do whatever you want and take it as far as you want as long as you fall in love with the process like this gentleman or this young lady did. So I know from personal experience, just when I'm doing my own training for just general health and well-being or trying to eat better nutrition, whatever the case is it is confusing there's so much out there and sometimes i mean you know we read it online that's where we tend to get most of our information i think people sort of forget the value of face-to-face professionals and and their expertise but it is confusing and the topic of off-ice training both during the season and during, during the off-season I think is a very important one. And I do get asked about it quite regularly. There's so much to cover. So let's 
get into it. So when it comes to, let's start with the off season. We'll break into two parts, off season first, in season second. During the off season, the type and intensity of off season training, give us a little bit of a basic overview of how someone should structure that. Sure. Uh, so if there's any strength coaches listening, they're going to be laughing because that's a broad question, but that's why we're here, right? To help narrow this down a little bit. I agree. And after I asked it, I, I realized how broad it was, but it, 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 it's interesting to start slow, I think, for, for everyone. Step, step one, uh, Kelly and listeners, is who are you and who is your athlete, right? And when I say that, I mean, what, be honest with yourself. What do you want out of the summer? What do you want about uh, to come from this offseason? What are you willing to commit, right? Are you somebody that, hey, I, I like hockey. I want to get better. But I also am going to go on a vacation with my family, a vacation with my friend. And I'm, you know what I mean? Is your schedule overwhelmed, right? So the first thing you need to identify is where is training going to, to fall in your hierarchy of needs, right? If you're a serious top-notch upper echelon player, that answer is number one, right? So for those players that – it's number one. I think you got to find consistency. So the first type of thing you're going to find is how many days can I get to the gym? It should be four at a minimum, right? And then understand that in the months of June and July, getting to the gym is your absolute uh, number one priority, right? Secondary would be getting on the ice. Third or fourth would be some of these two and three day camps, right? I think understanding that hierarchy is important. Every once in a while, you'll find a player that might want to skip a workout because they can get some extra time on ice. They might skip a Friday and a Monday workout because they're going to be out of town at a camp. And my point is, is, is understanding what, what are you trying to get out of the summer, right? If you're trying to get stronger, faster, if you're trying to increase um, your mobility, if you're trying to decrease injuries, going to those camps isn't going to help. It's actually probably going to perpetuate that to an extent. Uh, but that's another topic altogether. Sure. So, okay, myths. What about – and that was a fantastic general overview. And, and, and as, as you mentioned to the listeners, when you get with a professional, of course, it becomes more specific. And I do want to talk about the myths as well. When people are considering things to do, and I hear it all day long, they're told so much that from my experience alone I know is mythology – can we touch a little bit on these myths in general? Yeah, I, I think I think the ones that I hear and, and have seen most these last 13 years um, have been the sports-specific training, right? The idea that, you know, my son or daughter needs to get faster on ice, so they need to skate. They need to skate with sprints. Or, you know, my son or daughter, they need to, they need to get a harder shot. They need to shoot more, right? Those two things I see, and I just think they're – they, they have a good foundation, but they're completely misguided. If you want to get faster on ice, you need a stronger core, stronger hips, stronger foundation, right? That's going to support everything. And that's true of your, of your shot, right? Your core, your hips, your hamstrings, your, your quads, they're the foundation of all those movements. So if those are weak, you can skate and shoot for the rest of your life. And the, the increase is going to be very marginal. You need, to, you need to, to work on the things that affect everything. And that's kind of what we do and how we model our training. Um, I also think another myth that I run into quite frequently is, um, you know, the families that, you know, God bless them can afford to, but they go to six or seven five day camps in the summer. I think 
that the summer hockey camps are wonderful. I think it's great to see what other athletes are doing in your sport. It's great to meet people. Um, and it's great to go to schools and go to great functions. But on the flip side, I mean, you're cutting into your training time. If you only have 17 or 18 weeks, I know some of these upper echelon AAA programs from the end of spring hockey to the beginning of, of their season, it's about 15 weeks, right? If that's Incredible. the only window you have and you just cut out six weeks to go, you know, do workouts that aren't designed for you by people you don't know and then play kickball in the afternoon, you know, let's pick and choose or, or not, but understand that when that season starts that that did affect you and most likely in a negative way. I mean, I think that this comes back to what we talked about the, the summer view is sit down and decide who you are as an athlete, where you want to go and how far you want to take it. If you're someone that just loves the game and loves the social aspect, then you should do that. But if your goal is to play high end collegiate hockey and maybe on, hopefully to continue playing on, I think you have to realize that each summer is an opportunity to lay upon that foundation, right? Build that base. The pyramid's only as high as, as the base, right? I've been guilty myself in again general health and well-being and training of doing too much i gotta get i gotta get faster stronger lose weight whatever the case may be so what is too much and generally speaking and i think you touched on it but are kids doing way too much so that is a fantastic question um i'm gonna i'm gonna answer that uh two different ways the first one i'm gonna say i when you say too much i believe i'm hearing overtraining right I don't yeah. believe in overtraining. At this age, I think that athletes can only under-recover. And I know to our listeners that might sound like semantics. But what I'm saying is if your athlete has a good idea of what they want to accomplish and they're, they're getting to bed, they're getting their nine hours of sleep, they're drinking half their body weight in ounces of water. So if they're 140 pounds, they're drinking minimum 70 ounces of water. If they're eating their meals right, and they're stretching and rolling out before and after activity, they can go. Right, they're machines. But what happens is we fall in love with the idea of something, right? So our son and daughter, they're dedicated, they've been getting up, they've been going to the gym three days a week, four days a week, and then they want to go out of town for this camp. Well, we have to realize that they're 14, 15, 16 years old. Not all of them are are accountable enough to bring a bottle of water on the road, to stretch. Loosen up their hips when they get there. Make sure that even though they're in, in a hotel, they still have to get their dinner and they have to get their carbohydrates before bed. And they have to have water before and after, right? Those are things that we assume since they do them at home, they're going to do them on the road and they don't. And I think that that kind of accountability is a great life lesson. You know what I mean? I think that it's it's great to enforce there. But that's what I see is I see kids go on back-to-back camps and they come in and they're just destroyed. Their, their central nervous system's fried because they're sleeping in hotels. They're sleeping on airplanes. They're, they're sleeping on buses, right? They're not getting good meals in. Right. And that causes stress to the system. And that that puts their body not in a healthy environment to develop and to grow. Right. And then in a sense, they lost two weeks because they were gone at camps. They lose another week to recover. And and that's what I see a, a lot, Kelly. And then it, um, go ahead. I'm, I apologize. It, no, it's OK. Isn't it amazing how the more is better approach is sort of sold to parents in not just in training in the off season or in the in season, but actually also in the season itself during play. Yeah, more tournaments, more games, more games is better. Got to practice more. Uh, I mean, it's almost. I mean, of course, practice more is good. But when you're practicing too much and playing too much and traveling too much, it's all supposed to be this preparation for the future. But it's right. detrimental, isn't it? 
it's 100% detrimental. And you know what? It burns the kids out on the sport. I think I think working at the things that they need and creating a fun atmosphere is, is really – that's how they're going to continue to grow and get better. I know, you know in our facility, we charge monthly, so there's no per-session basis. So you can come as often as you'd like, but we track everything so that we can push you as hard as optimal – Right, but never further than that. And I think that if that mindset's adopted in scheduling games and practice and skill sessions, you're going to have a, a better over um, process for the athletes. Yeah, it's a super lesson that I hope everyone listening uh, takes to heart because I, I can't tell you enough how often everyone asks me about doing more and more and more. And it is it is tough to you know turn the jets off, so to speak. I have. And- a- I'm sorry. And chill out. Right. I have a, a piece of advice there too um, for coaches, parents, or players that are listening. One thing that I've uh, implemented with a lot of our athletes is keep a journal, right? I, I talk to my athletes every day. How much water did you have yesterday? A lot. How do you feel today? Good. How well did you sleep? Okay. Well, those don't really tell us anything, right? So I have our athletes record, hey, I had nine bottles of water. I went to bed at 10.30 p.m. I got up at 7 a.m. Didn't sleep very much. The d- neighbor's dog was barking. Today, I feel a five. It's it's called a RPE, right? It, it describes how they feel each day. And I think that them doing that consistently, they'll start to see, hey, in season, when my calories stay the same, but my workload goes up because I have more games and more practices, I start to get sick more or I start to get cramps in games or I start to get headaches or I can't focus in school. And those those uh, those notebooks are great to refer back to. It helps the player become accountable. It helps the player communicate to the coach. If the coach has three or four players that are saying, "Hey, coach, you know we we're cramping last game," or "Hey, coach, we're having trouble sleeping because we might be overtrained," I think it creates um, it fosters an environment for better conversations and a more productive team. Interesting, very interesting. Okay, let's get into in season. So. Type and intensity of workouts during the in-season. Give us, again, a basic overview, recognizing, of course, that it is general. If you're if you're in-season, I think the first thing that you have to do as a player, if you're not training with your program, you have to let your strength and conditioning coach know what you're doing schedule-wise, right, on the ice when you have games. I think you got to be on the same page there. Uh, and then you have to schedule around the activities. Usually with our groups, um, for hockey-specific, Monday's somewhat of a recovery day. Tuesday's a three or four out of five. It's generally full body. Um, Wednesday, we're cranking it back up again. Thursday's going to be short and intense with low rest periods. And then Friday's going to be just body maintenance to prepare for the weekend. What? How difficult is it for, in your experience with even pros, rest days, how tough is it to instill in an athlete's head that you got to shut it down? I think as long as you communicate the why, right? As long as you can identify with them what they're feeling and use examples, I think that you usually have success with the buy-in. I know I have um, currently and in the past. I, I like to say, hey, you know, third period, your legs haven't been feeling dead like they did last year. You haven't hit that wall, correct? They'll say, yeah. Then we say, well, that's because we take a day where we just hit the bike for some distance. We hammer the carbohydrates, the water, and we make sure to take care of our soft tissue work. I think uh, in the world of just sports development, that's one thing that's changed is these off days are really a lot more active. You know, we'll have our, our athletes maybe walking in a pool, 
go on long distance swims if that's not uh, available long distance biking at a very very low intensity but what we're trying to do is get everything moving right trying to palpitate that lymphatic system increase recovery and get some cell metabolization going tell me in your experience when it comes to let's talk about boys let's talk about girls so two separately when it comes to injuries what injuries have you noticed that are most common in female athletes versus male athletes? Is there a difference? And actually, let's talk about it also specifically to hockey. And it, and why are those injuries the most common? I, I guess I would have to say I see a lot more groin and hamstring injuries with female ac- uh, athletes at the onset of the season. Um, I think that's because over the summer – it seems like in my experience, they're doing a lot more of the games, of the getting on ice. They're trying to headhunt to get into different tournaments to continue what they think is developing, but oftentimes that's misguided. Uh, I know this past year I worked, I worked with um, a university in the Hockey East, and we had a, a groin injury, and, and that young lady in particular, the entire summer, she was on her national team. She was at these practices, those practices. She was on a men's team. And I just think that she personally never got time to recover. Uh, and I see that a lot more. Whereas with uh, on the men's side, I think you see a lot more glute injuries, lower back injuries, because they just want to brute force through contact. Um, you know, they're a little more haphazard with their body during activity. I, I can tell you this, this topic, Billy, we could talk about for hours and hours and if any of the listeners have heard us on the NHL network, they know that we we have had Billy on and the reviews we got, Billy, just from the short time that you were on were pretty incredible. And we want to have you back again, both on the NHL network and here at Rush Hockey for our podcast series. We're going to cut it short right now because we're out of time. But could you tell anyone um, how they can find you? Do you have a website? Um email address where if anyone needs your expertise, they could uh, reach you. Yeah. You can reach me at my email. It is Billy L five, seven, three at gmail.com. Appreciate it so much, Billy. We will do this again. I do get requests nonstop for it. And I got a whole, a whole, a whole many more questions for you. Thanks so much for taking these 20 so odd minutes with us and helping out the parents. Thank you. Take care. We want to thank our listeners for tuning in to another episode of Rush Hockey Talk, the place to be to get informed about youth hockey. Rush Hockey Talk, trusted guidance, unrivaled success.